I can't let you go out like that, man. Get the fuck off me, man. No, man, I'm gonna pump you up, man. Get the fuck off! No, man, you need all the help. Jenny, this a bet, man. I know it. Stop fucking around. Billy. Shut up, man. Billy. Shut up! Billy, listen to me. What? White men can't jump. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is the Wesley to my Woody, the Jordan to my Bugs, the Airbud to my whoever the hell was in Airbud, my lovely wife Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Did you just call me a dog? Well, the dog was the star of the movie, though. It's still a dog, though. It's a dog that could play basketball. It's a terrible thing. What film. do you want? I, not that. I think he could play other sports, too. I think there were sequels that he played baseball and hockey. Very and thankful. I don't know of them. Fencing. I don't know what air, but that was one talented dog. Posable thumbs, at the very least, for fencing. So, <laughs> <laughs> On today's episode, we're coming down with a touch of March Madness and watching not one, but two of the greatest basketball movies of all time. 1986's Hoosiers, which Nakia has never seen, and 1994's Above the Rim, which I have never seen. (laughs) But first, I thought we would talk a little about sports movies in general, as I think this is another underserved genre for the unenthusiastic critic. Nakia, I don't think we've ever done a sports movie for this series, either on the blog or on the podcast, have we? I don't think so. Do you have a favorite sports movie? I don't know that I have a favorite sports movie. I think I've seen more than you think that I've seen. Okay. Um, I'd be surprised. You know, ranging from actual quality movie to just shitty shittiness. (laughs) Um, So you referenced Space Jam at the top of the show. So you're starting at the shitty end of the spectrum. I mean, it's an argument. We can you can make an argument. There's no argument to be had. (laughs) That is a shitty, (laughs) shitty movie. It's shitty as a sports movie. It's shitty as a Warner Brothers cartoon movie. It's you know a long commercial. That's basically what it is, and (laughs) it works for that. And we were all wearing oversized Looney Tune clothes for a while. I mean, it was a it was a different time. So yeah, so Space Jam, Cool Runnings, ah, the, the Jamaican, Jamaican bobsled movie. Yes. yes, I have seen <laughs> a classic underdog tale. <laughs> it's it's one of my motivating forces in life. When you when you're having a hard time, mm-hmm. you just gotta buckle down and you say, "Feel the rhythm." Feel the ride. Come on now. It's bobsled time. I don't even know if I got that right. But, you know. It sounded good. That's, sure. that's, and then you're, you're, you're in the zone. You're ready. Okay. Um, what I else? did not know that was your mountain truck. <laughs> I don't tell a lot of people. Um, white Man Can't Jump. I love White Man Can't Jump. We just heard a clip from White Man Can't Jump at the top of this episode. Yes. So that's on the And other it sort end. of made me wish we were watching White Men Can't Jump. But, but we've both seen we've it, both so seen we have it. no I've seen excuse White Men to Can't watch jump it. So many times. <laughs> and I believe we referenced White Men Can't Jump in our wedding vows. We did indeed, yes. So we vowed to always <laughs> understand dry, dry mouthedness. <laughs> I there are few times that I've enjoyed Wesley Snipes and White Men Can't Jump is one of those times. Um, loving basketball, brilliant, beautiful. You keep film. mentioning we're gonna have to watch that we, one of these you will days. Have to I've see never that seen one. it. Yeah. Um, hoop dreams, 
That was the movie I wanted to do with Hoosiers, but then it turned out you had yeah, already seen it. Dreams. So of course that's, if you could just stop watching movies outside of this process, that would be well, helpful. I mean, isn't that better? So now you can't be like, you haven't seen Hoop Dream? No. <laughs> But that's what our brand relies on, is you having not seen things. Uh, but in terms of, like, the best thing I've ever sports-related okay. that I've seen, it wouldn't be a film. I think Friday Night Lights, the television show, is probably yes. the best sort of sports-related thing that I've watched. Okay, and not just because you had a little thing for Riggins? I mean, <laughs> it makes... It, he's on that spec, that Catalano spectrum, yeah, the, so yeah. it's, the, you know, the... The surly, borderline... Illiterate. <laughs> With a heart of gold. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I was thinking back, I think the first movie I ever saw in a movie theater, and actually it would have been a drive-in, mm. was a sports movie. I think it was The Bad News Bears. Oh, I've seen oh, The yeah, 1976 yeah. Bad News Bears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was about, I was six years old when Bad News Bears came out, so that this is the first one I remember seeing in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. You've seen that one? I have seen Bad News Bears. Okay. I've actually seen both. I saw the remake too with um, what's his name? Um, with Billy Bob yes, Thornton. Billy Bob the remake Thornton. wasn't bad, but it, it was, was just sort of unnecessary. Yeah. The original is still yeah. so good. Um, okay, well let's let's kind of break this down a little bit into subgenres. Okay. So baseball movies. You have seen Bull Durham. Sure. Which I think tops most of the lists of the best. It's near the top of most of the lists of the best sports movies of all time. Sure. You have seen Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Just because you can quote the line does not mean I you've seen, seen the movie. I have seen Field of Dreams. All right. Magical James Earl Jones. <laughs> who was also into baseball in um, Sandlot. That's another. I love I Sandlot. was just going to get to that. Yes, yes, I knew you'd seen that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, where he, again, is sort of a magical black yes. man. The one who lives next door, right? And he'd been blinded by, like, a, a baseball. I, I don't yeah, remember, I yeah. I so, Yes. <laughs> What I remember is they spent that entire movie trying to get that ball back. Right. Because it was signed by the great Bambino. By Babe Ruth. The dog has already chewed up and slobbered on that ball. So there's no point getting it back. It's not worth anything at that point. Just wipe it off a little bit. You make up some story about, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the story would be there. (laughs) That was amazing improvisation (laughs) on your part. I'm an excellent liar. You can really think on your feet. When... I really can. Yeah. I really can. Yeah. Okay. Um, you have not seen The Natural with no. Robert Redford. That's one that's on our list. We should get to that eventually. Okay. You're not going to like that at all. It has a magical black person in it? I don't think it has any black people in it okay. at all. I, for some reason, I thought it was like, um, what's that other one with Will Smith? Bagger Vance. Oh. For some reason, I <laughs> yeah. thought it was like similar to that, but I guess not. Okay. No. Uh, let's see. Uh, Major League with Charlie Sheen. Of course, I have not seen anything with Charlie Sheen. (laughs) And don't want to. And do not care to. (laughs) No. He's also in in, uh, one of my favorite football movies. It's not really a football movie, but Lucas. I've seen Lucas. You've seen Lucas? (laughs) (laughs) Because what I love about that is that's the underdog story where Lucas tries to get on the field the entire time. To play football, and, and he's convinced smashed. he's going to be a great football player. And they like fucking put in him in the, the hospital. hospital. He just gets destroyed. He should just date Winona and chill out. <laughs> just be with Winona. Okay, so let's see football movies. Rudy, we're, we're going to watch one of these Rudy. days. But that does have a magical black person. Does it? Charles uh, Dutton, isn't he like the? Oh yeah, you're like right. A janitor yeah, or something. He's like the field guy, yeah. the groundskeeper or something. Yeah. In that, I haven't seen that in a long time. 
North Dallas 40 you've not seen. Never heard of. The Longest Yard you've never seen. Uh, another one I think we'll watch. It's a TV movie, but I think it's just so... It's so saturated the culture that I think we'll probably watch it. Is Brian's song. Oh, the dude like dies or something, right? Or he has well, cancer or something? Spoiler alert. And it's like... His black teammate comes to visit him yeah. in the hospital or something. Yeah, it's uh, it's Billy D. Williams. And oh James God, it's Con. Billy D. Williams. Uh-huh. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. true story of yes, <laughs> Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers. So I don't have to watch it. I know what happens there. <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna put that on the list. <laughs> we'll wait for football season. Maybe uh, there's a lot of golf movies. Definitely you just mentioned Bagger Vance. You've seen Tin Cup because you enjoy Tin Cup right. way too much, and yes. you've seen Caddyshack for the same reason, right? <laughs> Uh, let's see. Hockey movies. Hell no. Slapshot with Paul Newman. That's on Oh, I've list. seen Mighty Ducks. Watch that. Oh, you've seen the Mighty I've Ducks. I've seen okay. the Mighty Ducks. Yes. <laughs> uh, Miracle. That's the 1980 Olympics. U.S. against the Russians, man. That's... No. No. I don't okay. watch propaganda. <laughs> I did see that movie where the hockey player and the ice skater become partners. <laughs> the cutting edge. Yes! <laughs> I have a weird fondness for that movie. So I've seen the I that counts. That's totally that a sports the only movie. Hockey movie I've seen. Boxing movies. There's a shit ton of boxing movies. Well, of course, you got the Rocky movies and mm-hmm. then Creed, uh, Raging Bull, The Fighter, Cinderella Man, Million Dollar Baby. Yeah, there's just a whole bunch of boxing movies. There's racing movies. A few soccer movies. Not that many soccer movies. Bend It Like Beckham, you've seen. I've seen Bend It Like Beckham, okay. yes. Breaking Away. Uh, I've That's never heard of That's bike riding. Okay. Bike riding? Yes, bike riding. Bike racing. Oh, like BMX stuff or? Uh, oh, like Tour de France stuff. More like Tour de France, okay. but I think it takes place in Indiana or somewhere. It's like a... Why? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Okay, and then we have basketball movies. Which I've seen probably more of. You've seen, okay, so you've seen White Man Can't Jump. We mm-hmm. talked about that. You've seen Hoop Dreams, Space Jam, Love and Basketball. He Got Game. He Got Game. Uh, Blue Chips, have you seen that one? With that Nick I have Nolte not seen. And I have not seen Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, dear. No. It's actually not a bad movie. What's the one where Whoopi is a coach? Eddie. Yes. You've seen, seen that, that one? shit show. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Okay, so did we did we arrive at a favorite of yours out of any of that? Uh, no. I don't really have a... None of those, I would say, are my favorite films. I mean, there are ones that I will sit down and watch if they're on. Like, if White Man Can Jump comes on, I'll probably sit down and watch it. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't really have a favorite out of any of those films, really. So I think I, we, we should probably break down the sports movie. I think... Because I think there's a couple of different kinds. Sure. There is... The movie that is just like a sports culture movie, mm-hmm. which I think Bull Durham is that kind of movie. Bull Durham is the is the rare sports movie where there isn't like a big game at the end right. or anything. Right. It's not about whether the team wins or loses or anything. It just takes place in right. the world of sports. Right. Versus your classic formulaic sports movie, which is almost always the underdog, mm-hmm. whether it's you know, a team underdog, which is what Hoosiers is, or, you know, the individual underdog, which is Rocky and mm-hmm. the fucking karate kid, I guess, would fall into that category. 
that there's almost always a big game or a big tournament or right. something that we're building towards. And it's like the movie almost just writes itself at that point. Right. You just, you got all the familiar beats and everything that we move towards. I think of the two sort of subsets, I'm probably more likely to watch ones where the, the sports are sort of secondary to the actual story of the mm-hmm. film, where it isn't like all leading up to one big game necessarily. You don't like formula. I, don't, I mean, that's like I, your yeah, problem with the romantic comedies, yeah, I don't that really it's like just unrails. <laughs> And also, I think it's it's hard to film sports in a way that is compelling sometimes because these are people that aren't really playing all the time, and right. so it doesn't. So you have to find ways to sort of film and edit around the fact that these are actors pretending to be NBA players, and <laughs> so it doesn't all except in the case of Space Jam. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> well, but in those cases, then you have to edit around the fact that people can't act, <laughs> like Jordan and Shaquille O'Neal, and. Um, so you, so like that sort of excitement and spontaneity that you see in real games and real sort of sports, you lose a little bit of that when it's done on film. Right. And sometimes it's just really ridiculous. Like there's a scene in American History X where, uh... The curb stomping scene? No, oh God, no. <laughs> no. Where Edward Norton's, he's playing, ba- the, they're playing basketball and he does this like two-handed dunk and then there's the scene of him hanging off the hoop with his two hands. It's like, Edward Norton didn't fucking do the two-handed <laughs> dunk, dude. And it just looks ridiculous. So it's easier when those sports is like in the, sort of in the background of the movie and just let these people act because that's what they're good at doing. Um, Speaking of which, I was just reading about White Men Can't Jump. Mm-hmm. Which apparently came close to starring Denzel Washington and Keanu Reeves. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. Denzel turned it down because he Good. was making Malcolm X that year. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> that was a but, tough decision. But Keanu wanted the part. Really? And it turned out he could not play. Well, yeah, Keanu, yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised that Keanu can't play ball. He's a little gangly. That would have been terrible. I can't even... <laughs> that would not have been a good no, movie. No, no. But Woody Harrelson basically says he, he owes his career to the fact that Keanu, Keanu couldn't, couldn't play, play ball. You know, life has a way of working out <laughs> for everyone. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the championship game. You're not the new coach. Are you expecting somebody different? <laughs> Younger. Both incredible and improbable confrontation. Well, those of you who don't know, my name is Norman Dale. I coached college ball for 10 years, but it's been 12 years since I've blown this. In the illustrious history of the Indiana High School basketball tournament. With a pint size hardly big enough for three syllables, Hickory Huskers enrollment 64. Take on the defending state champions, the mighty bears of South Bend Central. Run you off the boards. You got to squeeze them back in the paint. Make them chuck it from the cheap seats. Already calling this the game of the century. I've seen them, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days. Those people from all over the Middle West are here to witness Hoosierland's version of the Cinderella story. It's got to work out this time. Now that's it for good. The starting lineup for the Huskers. Well, my boys only know basketball farming in school. A basketball hero around here is treated like a god. You know, most people would kill be treated like a god just for a few moments. Let's win this and for all the small schools who never had a chance to get here. I love you guys. Gene Hackman, Barbara Hershey, Dennis Hopper, Hoosiers, 
they needed a second chance to finish first. All right. Well, we will we will obviously be coming back and revisiting the the sports movie topic. Mm-hmm. But you know, since we're doing two movies today, let's segue right into talking about Hoosiers. Okay. What do you know about Hoosiers? Uh, Gene Hackman comes in to coach some white kids in Indiana, right? That's that's about it. Yeah. Okay. 1950s. <laughs> that's what I know. Okay. Just like last week, we talked about how everyone, every website in the world loves to rank James Bond movies. They also rank sports movies. Sure. Hoosiers is pretty close to the top of nearly all those lists. Uh, Fox Sports <laughs> listed as number one on their list of the greatest sports movies of all time. ESPN has it as number four behind Bull Durham, Rocky, and Raging Bull. Sports Illustrated has it as number six. They like Boulder and Rocky and Raging Bull, too. And then they also put Hoop Dreams and Slapshot ahead of it. But it's a pretty well-respected movie. Sure. Made on a very low budget. It was made for $6 million. They actually ended up using small-town Indiana high school basketball players to play the actual players. Because mm-hmm. basically they couldn't afford anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you never seen Hoosiers? Uh, it's never come up. What do you mean it's never come up? <laughs> it's never, no one's ever said, hey, you really need to see Hoosiers. It's just never come up. I'm a fan of basketball. It's probably the sport that I've enjoyed the most, though. At this point, I don't think I actively watch any sports, really. I was very much of the, you know, the Jordan, Scottie Pippen mm-hmm. era. And then you have folks like Iverson and those folks came along. But, yeah, I just, so I, I enjoy basketball. I just don't, I wouldn't have sought out Hoosiers, really. Well, why would you not have not wanted to watch a film about white high school basketball players in the 50s? I think you summed it up. In the Midwest. Right there. <laughs> no need to see <laughs> Okay, so what are you expecting from this experience? Um, I'm expecting to see short shorts. <laughs> um... This, this is probably not going to be a film about fashion for you, I don't Well, of course not, but I mean, you know, if we're talking 50s basketball uniforms, those were some skimpy shorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe it's about a white team triumphing over a black team. Uh, you know, I'm not going to give anything away about the film. But... That's Well, I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> so, you know, going back to what I said about people actually being able to play ball, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Well, I think I think that's going to be interesting, first of all, because they played a very different kind of ball mm-hmm. in the 1950s. That's true. That's a good point. It's not quite as fast-paced and thrilling as, you know, <laughs> this is not watching Jordan play. Of course not. Yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about on that issue, which I think we'll talk about after we watch the film. But, yes, it is an all-white team, and mm-hmm. we can talk about how much we think that contributes to the place Hoosiers has... In the culture as one of the most beloved sports movies of all time. Over Space Jam. Space Jam is not even in the running, man. Okay, let's go watch uh, Hoosiers. Okay. Okay. Forget about the crowds. The size of the school. Their fancy uniforms. And remember what got you here. Focus on the fundamentals that we've gone over time and time again. And most important. Don't get caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. Okay? All right. I'll 
During the break, Nikia and I watched Hoosiers. Nikia did this underdog story about a small Indiana high school basketball team. Warm your heart. I was unmoved. You were unmoved. I was unmoved. It was not worthy of a slow clap. This is a slow clap movie. It was not. And the slow clap moment in the movie was not worthy of a slow clap. So, no, I, I, was, I was not moved. It wasn't bad, but I did not, you know, fill my heart with inspiration or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, let's come back to that. So let's let's do a little a little background here at the top. So this is again the year's nineteen eighty six. The director is David Anspa. This was his first feature film. He would then later go on to do Rudy, yet another underdog sports film. Otherwise not a particularly illustrious career for David Anspa. Gene Hackman, who was apparently one of the most difficult actors to work with on the planet. Every director who ever worked with him has horror stories about working with Gene Hackman. And uh, apparently he was a pain in the ass on this movie. He thought it was going to be terrible. He thought the director didn't know what he was doing. He predicted it was going to be a career killer for everyone involved. Nonetheless, it was good. It was a A modest hit. It was not a huge hit the year it came out. I think it's a film that found a bigger audience on video Mm -hmm. and over the years. As we mentioned earlier, it's now considered one of the best sports movies of all time. I think the timing of it is interesting because this, so this was 1986. This was the very height of the Mm Celtics-Lakers rivalry. Mm -hmm. So you had Magic Johnson- on the Lakers Larry versus Larry Bird from the tiny town of French Lick, Indiana <laughs> on the Celtics. And that rivalry had really reinvigorated the nation's interest in basketball. Mm-hmm. And so I think this was just kind of the right movie at the right, the right time, time. And right. especially with the Larry Bird connection. And I, I think the, the, the critical assessment at the time, and I think this is still the assessment now, is that the simplicity and the earnestness of the film is its charm. Mm -hmm. So here's a couple of reviews. Rolling Stone says, Dramatic nuance, emotional sophistication, screw that. Sometimes you just want to be moved beyond all reason. Enter this dizzyingly feel-good sports movie. Roger Ebert said it was a movie that is all heart. Janet Maslin in the New York Times said this film's very lack of surprise and sophistication accounts for a lot of its considerable charm. Paul Atanasio in the Washington Post. Hoosiers is told from a nostalgic distance, and those allergic to corniness might just be advised to stay home. But what do you expect in a movie about Indiana? Corn is what they make there. Oh, dude. Easy joke. (laughs) And the movie's enormous craftsmanship accumulates till you're actually seduced into believing all its Pepperidge Farm bumcum. That's really patronizing. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. (laughs) So you sound like you were not necessarily seduced. I was not moved. I was not seduced. Why not? (sighs) It was sort of boring. Um, It was fairly formulaic. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this may just be a factor of me seeing it after having seen so many other sports films. No, I think it was pretty formulaic in 1986, (laughs) too. I don't think it's... You know, you start with a losing team... Then comes a new coach with newfangled ideas like defense and passing. <laughs> and then you have the whole, like, montage of training and, you know, clashes with the townsfolk. Things get bleak, and then they win at the end. So, And you don't really get to know anybody 
in the interim much at all. I'm I think I can I can deal with formula, but there needs to be something else there as well. I think the director did a good job of sort of establishing a place and time. I mean mm-hmm. even with the opening scene of Gene Hackman driving into the small town and you see yeah. the cornfields and you see the barns and you see the kids playing basketball in the dirt, you know, yeah. that sort of thing and, and you you immediately know sort of where and when you are. Yeah. And it, and it is authentic. I yeah. mean, I grew up in a town about that size. Basketball was huge mm-hmm. in our town. In fact, our, our high school basketball coach was even fired for punching a player. <laughs> so, I mean, like, that all does strike me as very authentic, the sort of the small town politics yeah. of it. Yeah, the meeting with, like, the, I think it was all men, the townsmen had with Gene when he first got to town. Um, So all of that felt very real. I just felt like none of the characters, aside from Dennis Hopper, um, and he pretty much had just sort of the one note, none of them really resonated with me in any kind of real way. I I agree with you. The players, none of them. No. You had the short dude. You had the dude that prayed a lot. (laughs) Right. And then you had the kid, Dennis Hopper's son. And then Jimmy. But that's that's the only thing we know about him is that his father's a drunk. So, yeah, none of the players really... um, Even uh, Jimmy Chitwood, who's the lead, the star player that everything is about... He has, like, I think he has three lines of dialogue yeah. in the entire movie. And he supposedly has this big tragic past. Like, we don't we don't get right. to know him at all. Right. A lot of these movies, we get that really personal relationship between mm-hmm. the coach and the players. One, at least one of the players. Right. right. And we, none of that is yeah. in here. Right. And, well, let me ask you, what did you think of the love story? What the... F- oh, I just... First of all, poor Barbara Hershey stuck with that terrible haircut. And she was just sour for sort of 90% yeah. of it. And then all of a sudden she's in love with Gene Hackman and he's like sucking on her face in the woods. After telling her he hit a kid. So I just... That's foreplay I, in Indiana. That's kind of frightening. Um. So yeah, I really didn't... I guess it just felt like nothing had space to sort of grow. Yeah. Because we just had these beats that we had to hit. So it's like, okay... Gene Hackman and Barbara Hershey are now in love and together, even though there's really no relationship there. She pretty much... But I get a lot of films are like that. The woman starts out hating the man, and then all of a sudden they're in right. love for no explicit But, it, but it, do, it doesn't really set up a good reason for her to be it so doesn't. bitchy in the first no, half of the movie. No, she's just like sour for the whole time. And to be sort of the main female character, and that to sort of just be her... Default, default position, right. She's, this is the sour woman. She's the woman sitting at the ba- basketball <laughs> disapproval, game. Disapproval, disapproval. But not cheering and looking very angry. And so it's just like, okay, well... And her story was pretty standard of, you know, girl goes off to college thinking she's going to explore the world, and then, oh, damn, daddy dies. Yeah. And mom gets sick, so I got to come back. Come home, take care of mama. So it's, I I just didn't, I didn't feel anything. Mama, frankly, did not look like she needed a lot of taking care of. No, I mean, she was out there chopping trees and shit. She was fine. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think if the movie was going to be about any of them, it Probably should have been about Jimmy, but again, outside of, you know, he apparently took the death of his former coach pretty hard. Right. We didn't know anything about Jimmy, so that, I mean, and they didn't even tell us that Gene Hackman had hit a kid until fairly far into the film. It was just Well, I mean, they hint at it early. Well, they hint that he he did something, that that something had happened. That this is somehow going to be a redemption story for him, that this is his last chance. Right, (laughs) exactly. Which is fine until you realize he hit a kid, and he probably shouldn't be in the presence of minors anymore. Um, But, okay, redemption, sure. 
I think all of that is part of just the formulaic appeal. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't we're not really creating characters, we're just creating the very like lowest common denominator type of character in right. each one of these positions. Like, okay, we're gonna make give Gene Hackman a redemption story. That's really gonna get two lines of dialogue yeah. in the middle of the movie, and yeah. that's then we're done with that. Except There's he hit no, a kid. <laughs> you keep mentioning that. Well, because that's a pretty serious <laughs> offense, right? It wasn't, oh, he was just a hothead coach and he yelled at people. Like, he physically assaulted a child. So, that's maybe. He, he feels bad about that now, though. Yeah. We also don't see any sign of that side of him throughout this movie. I mean, he gets a little mouthy with the refs, but he doesn't Yeah, but he doesn't it the he doesn't get kids. angry at the kids. No. He doesn't really seem that competitive or that like he's desperate to mm-hmm. win. There's one scene where he briefly one of his players is injured and he puts the player in and then we get a shot of Barbara Hershey looking disapproving. <laughs> And then he takes the player out. Right. And that, I think that is supposed to be the, oh, he's changed. He's he's not willing to risk the health of his kids to win. Mm-hmm. But it's like the whole thing is just barely glanced at right. in the script that none of it really amounts to anything. In general, I would say like whatever redemption story he had took place before this movie started. Because he seems like a pretty decent guy in this movie. This movie's not his redemption story. We don't see him change in this movie. He comes in perfectly decent. Yeah. Okay, well, let's talk about the uh, fast-paced basketball scenes. Is that what they were? Because I feel like a lot of them happened in slow-mo, actually. A thrill a minute. There was a lot of of slow-mo utilized during the basketball (laughs) scenes. A lot of shots of someone throwing up a ball and then cut to, you know, the hoop and the ball going in the hoop yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah, it was not. And I, I understand part of that is basketball in the 50s was different than basketball is now. Right. But, yeah, it was that was some boring ass. And then to juxtapose that with how fanatical the audiences were watching the game, uh-huh. it was a little bit like, are we watching the same game? Because, okay. Yeah, I, watching it this time now, question whether this should be on the list of the greatest basketball movies of all time. Yeah. It's not really about basketball. It's... Like, the only strategy he mentions throughout the entire movie is Defense this bullshit passing. pass four times <laughs> before you shoot the ball thing. Yeah. Which they then abandon later in the film. They're not doing that, but yeah. that's okay. Um, like, what happens in the later games is they're losing the game, and then suddenly they start winning the game. But like you said, it's the turnaround. We don't see how that happens on the court. Right. All we see is the music swells. And then we have these shots, right? like you said, the shot going into the hoop. And it's like, swish, 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 right. swish. Well, and also, we don't see the play. We don't see why the play gets better. We don't see them change their strategy. Because I don't think it does. Because the whole thing is, his whole sort of mantra in the locker room scenes and in his big sort of slow clap speeches is, you know, there's no I in team. It's about the team. You know, right. we don't win without the team. They're losing. Then Jimmy comes back. <laughs> right. And now we're winning. So there was no strategic change. Yeah. It was Jimmy is back on the team now. So that's why we're winning. But there's no I in team. But if Jimmy wasn't here, we would not be going to the championship game. Right. You don't so. think Ollie could have... Was that the short dude? <laughs> yeah. With his the short dude. underhanded free with throws? his underhanded granny throws. Yeah, and- no. <laughs> so then it's also like you're sort of undermining your message a little bit of yeah. like, this is about, you know, a team coming together and becoming a unit. No. Right. It's Jimmy decided he's, for some reason, decided he's going to come back and play. 
the the small town team can go to the state championships if they happen to have right. some the freakishly best basketball talented player basketball player. In, if they have basically Larry Bird right. on their team to lead them to the state championship. Which is fine, but they say that. Like, yeah. We suck without Jimmy. <laughs> okay. Then make the movie about Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy's also the the Deus Ex Machina for He's the only reason he keeps his job in the first place. Right. Like, the whole town has voted him out, and then Jimmy's like, I'm gonna, I'll play if Coach stays. Which, again, is not explained in any way. There was really no, very little. There, I think that he and Gene Hackman had one conversation where Gene Hackman was like, okay, I'm just going to leave you alone. Yeah, I think we're supposed to feel like Jimmy was, like, watching how he coached and gaining respect for him from a distance. I feel like you got to, like, read into a lot of this. you got to <laughs> fill in a lot of the blanks in this movie, and I don't know that it... It, it warrants that, uh, yeah. But yeah, the basketball scenes are not are not exciting, and they're not really illustrative of the game. No, I do think there are a few nice scenes in the film. I really like the scene where they go into the state championship stadium, mm-hmm. and the kids are all just like overwhelmed by how large it is. By how large yeah. it is, and then Gene Hackman takes out the measuring tape and you know shows this is them. the same size. <laughs> Yeah. You didn't like that scene? I mean, it was fine. But did they not know that? <laughs> a court is a court. It's a mental thing. It's just helping okay. them get in the space. Come on. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> how about uh, how about Dennis Hopper? Yeah, I mean, I think Dennis Hopper was probably the more interesting character. of. Every- I mean, he actually got to sort of play a character. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know... 99% town drunk and then 1% sort of redemptive dad. Right, basketball fanatic. Um, but yeah, he was probably the most sort of fleshed out character mm-hmm. insofar as it was. I was actually, the one thing I will say that they did right was I was afraid they were going to be like, basketball cures alcoholism. And I was glad that that was not the case, that he actually did relapse and have to go to an actual rehab facility. Yeah, that's true. Because I was going to be like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Become assistant coach and defeat your alcoholism. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Still gonna a drunk. He's going to need to go to rehab. <laughs> All right. Was there anything you liked about the movie? Um, he and the dude that almost died of a heart attack were eating pie in one scene, and the pies were tasty. <laughs> Maybe he wants some pie. Okay, you... The only kind of pie you get in, like, a small town was, like... Yeah, but you would not go into that. Mabel, give me a slice of that pie. Oh, well, hell no, I wouldn't go into that. First of all, the sheriff is always the fuck around. (laughs) Never at his job. He's just at... So, yeah, no, I don't want to go anywhere where the sheriff is just always on the scene. But the pie looks good. Um, I think the most sort of action-packed scene was when the fight broke out at the basketball game and the drunk dude's son got pushed into some glass. That's probably uh-huh. the most dynamic scene of the whole film. Um, yeah, no. I mean, the big speech in the locker room where everybody breaks out into the slow clap, I didn't think was particularly profound or moving at all. I would not have given him a slow clap. It was definitely not, you know, clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. Like, that was just, <laughs> come on, dude. I mean, it basically was. But that. it wasn't, though, because... Everybody says clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. <laughs> it's like, you you teared up when when Coach was saying that. Where is this? I was like, is that the whole speech? Is he done? Are we clapping at that? It was basically like, go do your best, and even if you lose, I'll still like you. Yeah, that was that was it's what it was. A, it's not a great speech. Not a rousing speech. And then at the end of the movie, his his last locker room speech is just where he's like, I love you guys. And again, it's like, I feel like, do you even know these kids? He like, doesn't. we don't. He we doesn't. haven't learned anything about these kids. And then the scene at the end, that shot at the end where there's you get the sort of slow zoom 
onto the black and white photo of him and the team, and then it's overlaying him saying like "I love you guys." Yes. It's like, are we at the fucking Overlook Hotel right now? <laughs> it was a, it was like that's what it reminded me. I was like, this is did everybody die? Was this a dream? I'm confused. So I just I'm sorry. I I Hoosiers would not be on my list. I would rather watch Space Jam again <laughs> oh, than watch Hoosiers. Come on. Sorry. Wow. Well, how much of that has to do with the, you know, unrelenting whiteness? It's pretty fucking white. I mean, at the end, when we get to the the championship game and some black people finally show up, I'm like, yeah. oh, hey, black people. Which I are forget. literally the first yeah. black people we see in yeah. the film. The bears. Okay, well, that's actually what I want to talk about. Okay. This story is based on Milan High School. Mm-hmm. Um, their championship run in, I think, 53... So that part is fairly true. The school was small, and I think they were, like, the smallest school to ever win. Mm -hmm. But they were also, like, favored going into that season. The previous year they had done really well, and that season they were, like, 19-2. and So not the underdog. So they were not the underdogs that the movie makes them out to be. But what's interesting to me about it is which stories we choose to tell. Mm -hmm. So... One of the teams that Milan beat on its road to the championship was Crispus Attucks High School in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. This was the all-black high school. The coach of the Crispus Attucks Tigers is actually in Hoosiers. He's the the coach of Mm. the team at the the end. Mm The, the team they beat for the championship, which I had remembered as an all-black team. It's not. It's an no, integrated. There are, yeah, there's there a couple, are a couple of white, white guys players, on there. Yeah. But it's a mostly black team. Yes. So you do have that visual of this is white kids versus right. black kids. So Christmas Addicts won the state championship in the year after Milan. Mm-hmm. They were the first all-black high school in the country to win a state championship. That would have been an interesting story. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then they won it again the next year, becoming the first high school team in Indiana to have a perfect season. Hmm. They were 32-0 and 0 that season, mm-hmm. the second year they won. The star of the Christmas Addicts Tigers was a guy named Oscar Robertson, who would go on to be a three-time All-American at Cincinnati and a 12-time All-Star in the NBA. Hmm. This is a player that a lot of people, including Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, say was better than Jordan, better than LeBron. Better than Jimmy. (laughs) Better than Jimmy (laughs) Chitwood. Okay, let's talk about Jimmy Chitwood. Okay, so the real-life counterpart for Jimmy Chitwood is a Milan guard named Bobby Plum, That's who actually hit the championship winning shot Mm -hmm. in that game. What he says about the Crispus Attucks team is what they were able to accomplish is as significant as anything that's ever been done in this state's illustrious basketball history. There's nothing that I can say. There's nothing you will hear. There's nothing you can write that can possibly get to the depth of what they had to go through Hmm. to accomplish everything they did. If any of the great Indiana teams had to bear the responsibility that those young men had to bear every day, in every game, in every place that they went, I doubt any of them would have been as successful as Christmas Addicts. I will forever admire every one of them. It is without question a story more people need to know. And yet... We don't get that story. We don't get that story. Right. I looked to see if there was a movie about the Christmas Addicts Tigers. Mm -hmm. There is not. There's a one-hour documentary called Something to Cheer About. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are a few other things. There's, and I'll link to all of this in the show notes, there's a Spike Lee-produced short film called Black Hoosiers (laughs) uh, about this team. But it... 
you know, it really is just this fascinating story about this real underdog team. Right. And like Bobby Plum was saying, like just the incredible racism that they faced everywhere they went. 1950s Indiana. They were, that school was banned from tournament play completely until the 1940s because (laughs) the argument was it was not really a public school because whites were not allowed to go there, Mm -hmm. even though it was segregation and the Klan that said that's the all-black school. Because it was an all-black school, they were banned from basketball tournament play. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Oscar Robertson faced death threats everywhere he went when he was playing college ball Mm -hmm. and throughout his career. Like, there's just so many stories there. So there's just, like, where is the movie about this team? Right. And it's maybe not fair to judge Hoosiers based on that, but just thinking about the stories that we choose to tell. Right. And why they become beloved. Right. I mean, I do think that the white versus black narrative that the film sets up at the end. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a scene um, before they head into that final game where uh, Gene Hackman is talking with this sort of mob of reporters, and they're all sort of saying, you know, I've heard these boys are, like, freakishly tall. You know, so you start to get this sort of troubling language that sort of dehumanizes them. Right. As, like, these are just high school kids, but, no, there's, like, these inhumanly, you know, tall, basically black boys that are, or black men, actually. Right. That you're going to be going up against. How is your team going to handle it? How is your team going to deal? So going into that final game, I was actually I was looking for them to be more objectified by the camera, and I was relieved that that didn't like I was. I yeah, was, no, that didn't happen. Right, because that's sort of what I was expecting. I was like, oh, now we're going to go in and we're going to get super like close up shots of the black right, guys, their like their legs and their arms, men, and it right. was going to be a very sort of animalistic looking thing. And they didn't do that, so I do appreciate that it didn't go there. Nor were they like portrayed as assholes, right? Or evil well, they weren't anybody. Or, like right. they just. <laughs> They were just sort of these, you know, bodies. Right. Um, So that definitely could have been much worse than it was. But yeah, they were not, they weren't characters at all. They were just Mm. an obstacle to what was the inevitable end. I do think the fact that we don't see any black players for the entire movie. When again, they they played other integrated schools. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, it saves it for the big showdown to make it this visually just this white versus black narrative. Right. It's a little disingenuous. Yeah, this is Roger Sherman writing at SB Nation. He says... In the championship game, Hickory plays an integrated team from South Bend, the first evidence that black people exist in the movie. (laughs) When South Bend shows up, I'm immediately rooting for them. I'm fascinated by the experiences these young men must have faced as white and black teammates in 1950s Indiana. Yeah, watching it, I was like, oh, that's an integrated school. What's going on with them? And oh, it looks like they have black coaches, and that barely happens now. Let's Let's talk about what's going on there. As South Bend plays Hickory, I can't stop thinking about the struggles and travails they faced, the jeers they heard, the hate they witnessed. To me, they are infinitely more interesting than the guys we're supposed to be rooting for, but we never hear a word about South Bend's story. They're just a prop. The makers of Hoosiers counted on the racism of its viewers. They were trying to show that Hickory was heavily outmatched in the championship game. Mm-hmm. They used the black skin of Hickory's opponents as an indicator telling viewers to root against them. Well, and that's also, like, that's a... And again, this would have required them to sort of offer uh, other perspectives. But, you know, one way they could have complicated that narrative a little bit was the assumption that no one on the Hickory team 
would have said something right racist or made some sort of statement or is it you know so like we're, we're assuming a lot of people right. who are not around black people according like looking at their town ever and that would have been a way to like add a little bit at least to the characterization like these were just perfectly great little white kids and underdogs and i, I hadn't thought of that but yeah absolutely like, from at least the right. crowd in you the would crowd, have heard some racist in the tears. locker room there mm-hmm. would have been some you know so it's just like okay, from the well, refs yeah this is something um Ray Crow, who was the coach of the Crispus Attucks team, and that's the guy who's playing the coach of the team in the mm-hmm. movie, he told his players the first 10 points are for the refs, the rest are for us, mm-hmm. because refs were going to cost them 10 points in every game yeah. with bad calls, yeah. call you know, unfair calls against them. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and again, maybe it's not fair to lay all of that at the feet of Hoosiers, although right. some of it, I think, is, I think. I do think the way it does use the few black right. actors in the film is a little manipulative. But, I mean, the larger point is just that I want to see the film about the Christmas Addicts Tigers. Yeah. I want to see the film about Oscar Robertson, who yeah. had an amazing career and is still pretty pissed off about a lot of that stuff. Right. If you see him in interviews now. And it, it does make me sort of look with a skeptical eye at the place Hoosiers has mm-hmm. in the public consciousness. Well, but, I mean, America loves a great white hope. Like, we love it in right. boxing. We love it in basketball. Like, right. Rocky is right. the same. Exactly. Right. Like, places where they don't expect right. white people to win because black people, quote unquote, dominate. Right. You know, that's when you get the story of the great white hope. So, I'm not surprised that this film exists. That, that you know, that's the story that sort of resonates with a lot of folks. It's just not a particularly interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a story that is honest about sort of the complicated ways that race factors into things. Um, it's very, you know, if you like good Christian morals and principles <laughs> and, you know, not so great basketball, <laughs> it's a great film. Okay, well, I don't feel like this conversation has been a lot of fun. Is Above the Rim going to be more fun? I think so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if anything, the music will be better. <laughs> uh, yeah. I got you something uh, to keep my head straight, you know what I'm Okay, so what do I need to know about Above the Rim? <laughs> that it is better than Hoosiers. <laughs> that is a subjective assessment. I don't, I don't I think it, objectively we can just say Above the Rim is better than Hoosiers. Um, so it was released in March of 1994, co-written and directed by Jeff Pollock, who was also the co-creator, writer, and producer for The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which I think was one of the few examples of black people that you had in life. No, I never watched Fresh Prince. That was after my time. Oh. I never watched Fresh Prince of <laughs> Bel-Air, sorry. <laughs> never mind then. Catchy song, though. I've heard the song. <laughs> um, so it stars Dwayne Martin, Tupac Shakur, Leon Robinson, Marlon Wayans, Wood Harris, um, and Bernie Mac also has a, a role in it as well. 
And it's basically uh, the story revolves around uh, Dwayne Martin's character, Kyle Watson, who's, you know, a really talented high school basketball player, dreams of going to uh, Georgetown University, but, you know, his sort of shitty all-star attitude and, um, you know, the trappings of ghetto life uh, are, <laughs> are sort of, you know, which path will he choose mm. sort of film. So it's about Jimmy Chitwood. Yeah, if- it, it, is, it is Jimmy Chitwood's story of Jimmy Chitwood played, you know, street ball at Rutgers Park. Yes. The screenplay was written by Barry Michael Cooper, who also did screenplays for New Jack City and Sugar Hill. Sugar Hill being the other film <laughs> that I enjoy Wesley Snipes in. Wait, I think you're forgetting Blade. You know what? I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I have not seen Blade in a long time. I don't remember enjoying Blade a whole lot. And I think you're forgetting Passenger 57. The only thing I took from Passenger 57 was Always Bet on Black, which is another life motto of mine, along with the line from Cool Runnings. Um, so, yeah. which, is, which is what you tell me whenever I go to the casino, and it's, it's really bad, bad advice. I, I, I got to tell you, you really just it, gotta, it does not work. I think it does. I think you, you lose I mean, Wesley it. all of your money pretty and quickly if you, if you can't do that. trust Wesley Snipes around financial matters, <laughs> I don't... Didn't Wesley steal a little time over know, his financial matters? People... We're in places for periods of time, <laughs> but I don't think that we need to, you know, throw out the sound gambling policy of always bet on black. Uh, so the screenplay was uh, written by Barry Michael Cooper, based on a story by Benny Medina, who was head of A&R for Motown and then went on to work for Warner Brothers Records as uh, VP for the Urban Music Division, where he oversaw careers from folks from like Ray Charles to Shaka Khan, Naughty by Nature, probably most famously known for working with Jennifer Lopez. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I really like about this movie is the sort of synergy of the soundtrack and the film and i think that's probably has something to do with benny medina's involvement in that bringing that sort of the sort of hip-hop overlay into the whole world and it becomes almost like the heartbeat of the film um definitely better than the hoosiers synth pop inspiration music that's that was a happening. bold statement and i and i stand by it i feel good about it so yeah okay when did you first see this film so it came out in 94 i don't I definitely didn't see it when it came out in theaters, um, but I know I saw it before Tupac died, and Tupac died in 96, so it was in that two-year period somewhere okay, I saw so it. So you were a teenager. I was a teenager, yes. That was, it was, that was sad. So Tupac was shot, and I actually, there was this whole, like, vigil on Las Vegas Boulevard where he was shot in his car, and mm. we, <laughs> I remember my mom taking me down there, and we, like, Aww. laid flowers because it was a whole thing. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'm trying to think if that was my first big sort of celebrity death. Mm. I think it might have been, and I mean, to hit me enough where I was like, okay, we need to, (laughs) can you take me down to the vigil? (laughs) Um, I think that might have been, well, Easy e died before that, but I don't know that that hit me super hard. Um, Yeah. I think mine was Harry Chapin, so that's (laughs) sort of comparable to what you're talking about. So why so why did you choose this movie? Well, we had, when we were talking about the sort of March Madness basketball films, there were we were throwing around a few ideas. Right. I I had basically decided if we're going to do basketball, we can't just watch <laughs> Hoosiers the film about the all-white basketball team. Why not? Just doesn't seem representative somehow <laughs> of the game. Yeah, that's a fair point. 
Um, so then in thinking about it, there were a few that we, uh, that I thought about. So there's Love and Basketball, which is Gina Prince-Bythewood's very beautiful film starring Sinai Lathan and Omar Epps as sort of childhood friends who are both, you know, who both have the dream of becoming, uh, basketball players. And there's sort of this exploration of sort of the gender expectations of, Mm -hmm. of them. And then also how basketball has informed, uh, their relationship first as friends and then as lovers. And we talked about that when we talked about romantic movies. Right, so that's we, something we right. will watch and one I, of these days. Yeah, I, we should watch it because I, I do think it's a really beautiful film and I enjoy it. I just didn't know if it sort of paired with Hoosiers well. And then the other option was He Got Game, which is Spike mm-hmm. Lee's film uh, with, um, with Denzel Washington. Um, also a really good film. Um, that's yeah that's middle period spike lee which is the spike lee i don't know like i loved mm-hmm. his first five or six movies and then i kind of gave up on spike for a little <laughs> while you gotta stay with spike because you never really know what you're gonna get mm-hmm. um and there there are definitely some movies where he's both you know the best and worst of himself in one film uh so I I tend to just watch all of Spike and then just you, you just got to be ready to right. be like okay <laughs> won't be watching that one again or this is one of my favorite Spike Lee films ever. He Got Game is a good film. Um, I enjoy seeing He Got Game. Um, but again, I wasn't sure if it would pair that well with Hoosiers. Okay. So I came down to Above the Rim partially because I think you also just need to see Tupac act mm-hmm. because it's just ridiculous that you haven't seen Tupac well I saw the biopic last year which was I heard was terrible <laughs> it was really it was just really an bad. abomination it was so bad yeah so he's much better than that uh, <laughs> <laughs> he so the, uh, above the rim is coming is he off. is Tupac a better actor than the guy playing Tupac Tupac is definite I think the hologram of Tupac <laughs> is a better actor than the guy who played Tupac in uh all eyes on me okay um but so Above the Rim is coming off a couple of films, really, really like great performances that he put in. First was Juice, mm-hmm. which I think was '92, um, where he he plays this really like amazingly frightening character. Um, and then in '93 he did Poetic Justice, uh, where he was a sort of really sensitive um, sort of, poet. He wasn't a poet. <laughs> Janet Jackson is actually uh, reads some poetry in there, um, but no. So it was a really sensitive character, and and then we have Above the Rim, um, and a lot of people were saying that you know Tupac was going to be you know this great actor, and he was definitely uh, a young talent to watch. And then unfortunately, you know, two years later, right. we lost him. Um, but I think he's a really interesting screen presence. He has a charisma about him that very few people have. So, yeah, I think you should see Tupac act in something. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. I think in the spirit of March Madness, mm-hmm. we should have a conversation, you know, at the end about whether the guys from Above the Rim could beat the Hickory Huskers. We don't have to wait Hoosiers. for that. I can tell you now. Well, no, I think... That absolutely think, they could beat... I don't think we have enough information right Huskers. now to have I think we absolutely have enough. That Jimmy Chitwood's awful good, man. Yeah, but... Yeah, no. <laughs> Tupac would just like slice him with a razor and then he's out of the game. And then you're just stuck with the dude who can't do free throws and the dude whose dad's an alcoholic and the dude who prays. The thing about March Madness is anything can happen. The, you know, they, they would the lose. underdog can nope, they defeat would, they the, would lose. the top seed. They would lose. Let's find out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the fuck you think you're talking to, man? This ain't nutso. 
This ain't that dope head on the roof taking orders from you. This ain't your same little brother following behind you trying to go outside. You ain't the motherfucking man no more. I'm the one. Shit has changed. It's a new day, bro. You can't clean up your act. I suggest you raise the fuck up. Get the hell out of Dodge. Okay, so we're back. Having watched Above the Rim, Michael, what did you think? <laughs> I enjoyed Above the Rim. More than Hoosiers. You know, I don't know why we need to make <laughs> this a competition. It. Just say that you enjoyed it more than you enjoyed Hoosiers. It's a different Just say. film than okay. Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. They both have their place. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of enjoyed it more than Hoosiers. Boom! I win. <laughs> <laughs> So Above the Rim was definitely more dynamic, more exciting, is more character-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, still formulaic in its oh, own absolutely. way. I mean, it's yeah. very, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but it's very much this kind of archetypal mm-hmm. story. You have these very familiar figures. Right. But yeah, no, I liked it. Okay, so let's start from the top. All right. Let's talk about the opening scene. Yes, let's talk about the opening scene. <laughs> Quite possibly one of the best scenes ever in the film, <laughs> in my opinion. Really? Are I we think so. calling it that? I think so. Because I think it might be the worst scene in the movie. <laughs> no, it sets the whole tone. It's the whole reason for everything. So we open with this very desaturated you know, kind of slow-mo, weirdly right. echoey, to tell us we're either in a dream or a flashback. Or a flashback right. With two guys, we don't know who they are yet, playing basketball in what turns out to be this ambiguous space. <laughs> uh, we went back and watched it about three times and figured right. out they right. are on a roof. The lay of the land. But it's, yes. it's an ambiguous set right. is what's going on there. Yes. But basically, they're they're having a little competition to see who can jump highest and hit the, the, the backboard. backboard. And one of them <laughs> jumps up to slap the backboard, smashes through the backboard, mm-hmm. and falls off the roof. To his death. To his death. Yes. <laughs> Best opening scene <laughs> ever. <laughs> the, um, okay. So this is the sort of power of our brains and what we think we remember versus what actually happened. Mm -hmm. I could have sworn (laughs) that Nutso, the character that falls to his death, fell through a window. The the way that it's set up, it looks as if it is a four-walled space, which is probably why my brain had remembered it as they're inside playing and the the basketball hoop is in front of a big ass like industrial space window right it looks like the window is right Right behind behind the hoop the hoop so in my brain the scene goes nestle goes up to smash the hit the backboard goes through this backboard that's made of like air because he just (laughs) hits it and it just falls apart and then crashes through a window to his death right not what happened no Nutso hits the backboard and just falls over the side of the roof. Right. And then we cut to this reverse shot from the other side of the backboard where there's like just a mile of open space. (laughs) That window is not there. That building is not there. So it's a combination of my poor memory and also just poor shooting of that particular scene. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, I think it would have been more impactful had he fallen through a window because then you just. The so you're just rewriting that scene. I'm just rewriting that whole scene. I'm st- I'm still going to walk in this window. world thinking that Nutso went through a window okay. after <laughs> <laughs> hitting the backboard, even though that is absolutely wrong. He just falls off the roof. What I'm saying is, whatever the design of this space, it's a bad design. <laughs> it's not appropriate for people to be playing basketball. I mean, you're going to lose a lot of balls going yes. off the top of the roof and a lot of, and a lot of players yes. apparently. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just a lot of problems with this space. But I think it sets it up as saying... Go play down at the Y, man. This is not your average basketball movie. <laughs> you think you know. So this is a mission statement Right, you have shot. no I idea see. how real the game can get. <laughs> Playing on a roof, bitch. Okay, so then it turns out to be... I guess it's a dream and a memory, because we see right. him wake up. This is Shep. Shepard's yes. memory. The aptly named Shepard. Right. And the movie really turns out to be almost as much his movie as mm-hmm. it is Kyle's movie. Right. Which is good because Kyle is a dick. Kyle is a talented young man who knows that he is talented. So he's cocky and arrogant and an <laughs> asshole to everyone around him. Everyone on his team, his coach, his mom, everybody. <laughs> The local bum in the park who we'll get to later. He's a dick to everybody through pretty much the entire movie. Kyle is entitled and he definitely is feeling himself. I believe they call him Little Jordan at some point. (laughs) Yeah, we see him playing basketball. He loses the game because he's showboating. Yeah, he's a little bit of a ball hog. He he does not follow Coach Dale's four pass before you shoot rule. Coach Dale would fucking bench him on the Hickory Huskers and would not play You know what him. he follows, though? He follows the give Jimmy the ball rule. That's what you do. <laughs> give Jimmy the ball. But then he loses the game because well, he's, yeah, ho- he, he's yeah. hogging the ball. No, he fucks up. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> And he does that like three games in a row. So, yes, this is the story of Kyle, the high school basketball star, and Shep, the former basketball star who yes, walked which we away. Yes, we don't learn until later in the movie. We think Shep is just the security guard. Right, because we find out that Shep was the big high school star who then left the game after, after he lost his friend. <laughs> after he lost his friend. To a roof. Not so. <laughs> <laughs> which, that's a fair reason to walk away, to be like, mm. Yeah. I mean, no, it's great. It's like this, it's very much the old gunslinger trope mm-hmm. of the guy who has hung up his gun. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> You're not going to pull me back into this. I'm retired. See, and this is also, so this could also be Jimmy's story. This is Jimmy if the reason he quit was, <laughs> I don't know what it would have been in Indiana. The basketball hoop was in front of like a, a shredder. He fell into a corn thresher right, corn or thresher, something. Yeah. And then it would have been like, I can't play anymore. I can't do it. Good reason not to play. Okay, so the whole thing is, uh, the quest of this film is whether Kyle is going to get into Georgetown. He, right. he wants to go to Georgetown and play ball for Georgetown. And eventually go pro. Or the streets are going to claim it. <laughs> so we have these two figures, these two possible mentor figures mm-hmm. in Shep, the good guy, sure. and Birdie. Mm-hmm. This is Tupac, who is a... Drug, do we, we, he's a drug dealer, I mean, yeah, right? he's a drug, he's a, among other things, sundry things, but yes. 
gentleman of ill repute. Sure. Yes. Who promises the big money. The and girls. He just hands him girls as perks. As you do. Yeah. So this is this is the battle for Kyle's soul right. between these two figures. Right. It's like the... Uh, you haven't seen that movie. What? <laughs> it's in... Uh, Platoon, another Charlie Sheen movie. Oh, God. There are these two sergeants, and Tom Berenger's sergeant is just like pure evil. <laughs> and then Willem Dafoe's sergeant is like an angel figure, and they're just battling Willem for the Willem Dafoe's the angel? Willem Dafoe was the angel in that movie, yeah. Okay, we'll add that to the list. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it made me think of, these two figures, who turn out to be brothers, which I should have seen coming. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. So Shep is back in town. He goes to the gravesite to visit his dead mother, mm-hmm. whom he disappointed years ago by not becoming a successful professional basketball player because he had a nervous breakdown because his friend Nutso died from falling <laughs> off the roof. <laughs> and <laughs> he's sitting graveside, and his brother Tupac shows up, Birdie, and that's where we learn that they are brothers. That's where we learn that Birdie used to look up to Shep, and that all the hopes of their struggle family were yeah. on Shep's shoulders. Which which actually, it's actually a fairly nice, complicated situation there. Because mm-hmm. Birdie is saying, like, I'm the one who took care of our mother. Yeah. Like, I provided for her. I had to do it through selling drugs and whatever else I've got going on. But I took care of her. I bought her a house. Like, right. um, you didn't do shit. You ran away. <laughs> right. And basically saying, I'm the man now. Right. Like, I'm the one that's running everything. You know, you're coming back as nothing, basically, Mm -hmm. despite all the hopes that everyone had had for him to be this big, you know, basketball star. But Bertie's a generous man, (laughs) and he offers Shepard a job. You can just come work with me. We can, you know, be partners in this thing. Yeah, come work for the family business. Right. And Shep goes against the family. I never wanted this for you, Shepard. You never go against the family. (laughs) But Shepard's like, I'm going against the family. I'm not doing it. (laughs) And now the brothers are at war. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Birdie. Okay. What do you think of Tupac as an actor? Um, I mean, I'm not sure there's a lot of acting going on. It's not a demanding part, at least here. I don't know if in other films he mm-hmm. gets more emotional range. <laughs> he just needs to play that combination of charisma and menace, mm-hmm. which he does very he well. He does very well. He has that. He has a weird energy around him. He does. It's like weirdly menacing, weirdly sexual. It's just weird. Mm -hmm. But he's definitely a magnetic presence on the screen. His eyes are kind of amazing. He has amazing eyes. He's got like big, wet, really reflective eyes. So he always has these like pinpoints of light in them Mm -hmm. that again, make him look a little charming, but also a little demonic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was impressed with Tupac. See? Yay. And I will say, coming back to that biopic... Yes. That guy that guy did look just like Tupac. Okay. But he did not have that thing. I mean, because it's that's kind just, of amazing. Yeah. You either have that like or even you don't. forgetting acting, like even if you just look at pictures of them side by side, mm-hmm. he really did look just like Tupac. Mm-hmm. But he did not have that light in his eyes. He did not have that weird energy, mm-hmm. that charisma. So it, yeah, yeah. No, Tupac was. I mean, he's definitely that first scene. He comes on in the uh, school gymnasium, and there's a basketball game going on, and Tupac, Birdie, and his whole entourage walks into the arena. Yeah. 
And it's super crowded, and there are lots of people, but as soon as he walks on screen, yeah. your eyes go straight to him, and you watch him the whole time. He's so magnetic yeah. and so charismatic. With his right-hand man, Avon Barksdale. With his right-hand <laughs> man, <laughs> Avon Barksdale. I don't remember the actor's name, but he will always be Avon Barksdale <laughs> The actor's name is Wood Harris. Wood Harris. And he plays Mota. Yeah, okay. Uh, who is an awesome villain in this movie. Uh, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> and, you know, a fucking foul force on the court. But it, Yeah, we'll talk about that <laughs> later. But yes, but with Tupac, I do recommend actually watching his both Juice and Poetic Justice because that sort of energy that you talk about, you can kind of see how he's able to transform it a bit because with, with Poetic Justice in particular, it's there's a softness to it and a vulnerability to mm-hmm. it that you don't see in Above the Rim. Um, so I think we should dig into some Tupac films and then we'll go to some Prince films. Um, no, I'm just, we're not going to I'm basically not, just going to take you we're on not gonna be doing a voyage. That. <laughs> of people I think you should see on film. All right, can we can we talk about Bugaloo? We love Bugaloo. Do we? We do. How could you not love Bugaloo? He's a ridiculous character. He's the best character this ever. This is Marlon Wayans. <laughs> he is just a clown. Kyle calls him a 14-carat clown at some point. Uh, something 14-carat gold. 14-carat Urkel. Yes, 14-carat gold Urkel. Yes. Yes. Bugaloo's a great character. You need a little bit of comedy relief, comic relief. Yeah, okay. There's that scene where, just ran for no reason, Kyle goes to take a piss in the alleyway, <laughs> and then Bugaloo's, like, checking out his dick, and they're having a conversation about his dick. Like, it is so random, and it is not a conversation guys have. And then talking about his that's mom's not a thing. ass. And... He's, like, he's like, you're a dick like an anteater. <laughs> like... This is not a conversation two guys are going to have. Boys don't stand around talking about each other's dicks? No, not as much as you think. Really? Mm-mm. <laughs> I actually, it, I like, you know, you show that there is intimacy between male friends. No, that's weird. Without it turning just into something weird. like, you know, homophobic and terrible. No, it's, I think just, it works. it's just weird. I think it's like a political statement and I, I feel strongly <laughs> about it being in the film. <laughs> So I had expect, and this is another place where I was wrong about the formula. I had expected Bugaloo mm-hmm. to die at some point in this film. I thought he was the goose. You did. You thought he was the goose of this film. He's not. I thought he was the uh, the riff from West Side Story. Ah, like the slightly goofy best friend mm-hmm. who ends up getting killed and mm-hmm. affects the main character. But that was before I met Flip. <laughs> who, when he showed up, was the completely more obvious sacrificial clown right. character right. of this movie. This is Bernie Max, yes, homeless weirdo, right? Former um, basketball star again, another former right. basketball great. So he's like in like the cautionary tale. We have there's there's Shep that Kyle could become, and then if you go and Birdie, obviously, and then you go a little further down the <laughs> spectrum, you get to. Flip. Flip. Mm -hmm. That, you know, you can be a great basketball star and end up a crazy homeless vet. Yes. Living out of a shopping cart. Yes. But I actually thought, again, I thought with that role, it's not a super substantial role. No. But Bernie, I thought Bernie Mac really did a great job with it. Yeah, no, Bernie Mac was great. And it kind of, it breaks your heart that he, spoiler alert, is murdered. (laughs) (laughs) And it's Kyle's fault, because Kyle is a dick to him. Well, it's not Kyle's fault. I mean... It sort of is. No... 
Kyle, like, basically beats him up at one point. Yes. Because they're playing ball. And right. Then he, like, beats up Bernie Mac a little bit. Shepard pulls him off. Flip. And then later in the film, he's trying to grill... Flip about Shep. Flip for information about Shep. Right. And that's when Birdie gets involved and Flip mouths off to Birdie. And so Birdie later cuts him into a thousand pieces with a <laughs> razor blade that he keeps in his mouth. <laughs> Birdie apparently just walks around with a razor blade in his mouth. There are many people in New York who walk around with razor blades in their mouth. That's that's just a, that's you just know. That's not, not a good idea. I was never able to master the trick, but if I could no. do it, have a I would. Have a tic-tac, no. something. No, you need a, ra- you never know when you're going to have to cut somebody. <laughs> that's fine. Keep it in your pocket. You no, have it's have it in so your mouth. much more frightening <laughs> to see someone pull a fucking razor out of their mouth and they're about to cut you with it. Not it's sanitary. Just, it's just like, oh, this bitch was walking around with a razor in her mouth like that says i don't have to get ready i stay ready like you you gotta switch the razor blade the razor blade is gonna rust eventually you gotta no, switch it out no, every couple of days no, no i don't understand this no system. real g's got razor blades up in their cheeks <laughs> and that's how you do it and if i could do it i would absolutely do it but they you know pat down my hair at the airport so i would not be able to walk around with a razor blade in my mouth but <laughs> if i could i absolutely would but yes, I think Flip is a great character, and I think he hits one of the sort of big themes of the film um, in that scene where Kyle is beating up on Flip and then Shep comes and breaks them up. He says, you know, they can't erase what we were. Right. So this idea of, like, the sort of former greats who may not have, you know, landed in the places that everybody thought they were going to land at the time. Mm-hmm. But that did, doesn't take away from the fact that they were greats. And this idea of, like, every neighborhood has those guys and those women who are walking around. It's like, they were really amazing when, and then what happened? But that's what, in Barbara Hershey talks about that in Hoosiers mm-hmm. as a sad thing. She's right. like, you know, I, I've seen these guys hanging around talking about the good old days mm-hmm. when they used to play high school ball back when they were treated like gods. Right. And Gene Hackman says... Most people would kill to be treated like a god, even for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's an interesting story, particularly in the context of neighborhoods like Harlem and stuff where basketball is seen as the ticket out. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how you're going to get out of here. That's how you're going to make it. Right. That's how you're going to make it. And not everybody's going to get right. out. Right. And not everybody's going to get out. And somebody's going to be, you know, the old dude at the bar talking about, you know, that one game where he hit 22 mm-hmm. points and eight rebounds or whatever. And it's like, and everybody sort of just shakes their head and like, yeah, you used to be somebody. Yeah. Okay. So this is an interesting point. Later in the film, uh, the coach, who's basically the only white character in the film, he tells Shep that he has a responsibility towards mm-hmm. Kyle. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that's based on. He almost acts like since Nutso fell off the roof, <laughs> you owe it to this kid to help him out. Sort of. Or is it this kid is you, so you owe it? Mm-hmm. Like you fucked up your chance, you owe it to this kid? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's recognizing that both Nutso and Shep, you know, did were not uh, able to realize their potential. Mm-hmm. Nutso because he fell off a roof. <laughs> and <laughs> Shep because he saw his friend fall off a roof. Um, so this idea of, like, you somehow... You, you Wait a minute. Some- Hold on. Let me stop you there. Because okay. is, and it's I think it's a little ambiguous in the film, was it just not so falling off the roof, or did Shep have some of the same problems that Kyle has? 
Um, I don't think we get the feeling that he was like a because a there's player. there's like there's like a newspaper an old newspaper story he pulls mm. out later in the film where mm-hmm. the headline is like raw talent but a fatal flaw. Right. That's after Nutso falls off the roof. That's following that. Well, that's not a fatal flaw. Like that's not. <laughs> That's not hubris. If your friend <laughs> fell off the fucking roof, that's a real thing. That's well, not a character flaw. But he fell off the roof because you were playing a game, this like one-up game, and you were being all like, you know. See, I read that as that Shep had been arrogant. No. And, no, you don't think so? I don't think so. I mean, he may have been an arrogant basketball player just because, you know, basketball players that are exceptionally good tend to be on the arrogant side. And you do see some of that energy in that one-on-one game with him and Nutso. Yeah, the it's the arrogance that right. gets Nutso, right. because Nutso's trying to prove himself. Right, but that particular clipping that was talking about, the fatal flaw was, you know, his friend fell off a, a roof. I think the fatal flaw was naming the kid Nutso. <laughs> I'm sure that's not his given nobody name. Na- nobody named Nutso or Bugaloo is going to sure turn out well. I'm sure that's not his given name. <laughs> And it's like Snot Boogie in The Wire. Like, you just don't... It's You're just dooming a kid if you name him Nutso, Boogaloo, or Snot Boogie. At least you remember their names. We don't remember any of the Hoosier... The Hoosier guys are the dude with the drunk dad. And the dude... The short dude. Right. And the so, dude who prays a hey, lot. At least we remember the names. Okay, I'm sorry. You were talking about Shep. Yes. I don't remember what I was saying. <laughs> oh, the responsibility towards the kid. Right. That's what so, we're right. About. So, this idea of like this, uh, you know, wasted potential and him sort of walking away from everything, he had a responsibility to the sort of future generation in Kyle to mm-hmm. see him through it, to get him past high school and into Georgetown. Okay. To show him the right path. To be his Mr. Miyagi. Each one, teach one, each one, reach one kind of thing. Yes. Wax on, wax exactly, off. Exactly, exactly. It takes a village to raise a child. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. So this is all leading up to the big playground tournament, the shootout. Shootout tournament. Right. Which, again, we have these these poles of good and evil. Originally, Kyle's going to play for coaches team. Right. And then he says, fuck you, coach. I'm going to go play for Tupac. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after Tupac kills Flip, Mm -hmm. I guess that's what changes his mind. Then he realizes he was, you know, trying to play for a murderer. Right. Which he sort of probably knew that before. I would think that you would know that you were not playing for a dude who was, you know, we didn't know he killed harmless old bums. But Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Yeah. So then Kyle plays for. Coach's team, after all. Right. And we have the big tournament. Mm-hmm. And Birdie's team has an interesting style. Sure, let's call it that. <laughs> interesting style. And apparently has all the refs <laughs> on the payroll. Because they are just straight up punching dudes in the throat on the court. It was no call. <laughs> it was no call. Like, that is... Not regulation play. It's street ball, number one. <laughs> so you're going to get a little bit of a gut check every now and then. It's just, it's par for the like course. It's pretty flagrant. It's par for, you know, no call, but it was no call. So no call, no foul. You got to do what you got to do. It's street ball. Yes, so we have the, the big sort of final showdown with Kyle playing against the team of evil, which is Birdie's team, mm-hmm. uh, properly dressed in black as they were. Mm-hmm. And for a while, they're getting their asses kicked and they are losing players left and right because of these no call, no fouls. All seems hopeless. 
And then... And then... The shepherd shows up. (laughs) (laughs) To save the day. To play... They finally have, have... you know, crippled Most all of the, of the players mm-hmm. except four. So they need one more player to feel the team. And here comes Shepard. Yes. Wearing <laughs> motherfucking corduroys. You're focusing too much on the corduroys. I'm really not. I think the corduroys are important. <laughs> like, he could have put on a pair of shorts. No. Does he have to play in full length? It was a spur of the moment. Like, trousers. you know what? I need to go and do this. Are you going to then go home and change? No. I just, you know, I'm picturing that <laughs> sound as he's running up and down the court. It's good wind resistance. <laughs> but the good thing about him is not only can he hit shots, he, he hits like Crazy 30 shots, shots yeah. from the top of the key. Uh, he also knows how to play. He knows how to foul the way Birdie's team yes. does. Yes. Like the at one point, foul. he just straight up knees Avon Barksdale in the balls. Yeah. No call, no on foul. The court. <laughs> So we get the montage of Shep basically hitting J after J after J. Final shot. And again, Superstar is pretty much forgotten here. Like, Kyle is, he's not doing much of anything at this point. Well, because original Superstar is here. This is again why it seems like it's it's more Kyle, it's more Shep's movie than it is Kyle's movie. I think it's both of them. It's, you know, you you show like, this is where we're coming from, this is where we're going. Uh, You know, Kyle still has a lot to to learn. The community. Right, Mm. exactly. But you get that final shot of, you know, Shep gets the ball, throws it up, gets it to Kyle. Kyle makes a slam dunk. Yeah. Winning shot. It's it's the passing of the torch. Exactly. mm -hmm, Exactly. See? (laughs) All full circle. It all comes together. Again, this is all, like, very archetypal and very formulaic. it is. But it's well done. And it actually seems genuinely character-driven. Well, and again, you know, in contrast to Hoosiers... (laughs) It was enjoyable watching that ball. Well, uh, they play a different style of it ball. It was definitely a different style of ball, but it, it was just shot much more dynamically and interestingly. Yeah. It wasn't until the sort of very end where they're doing the montage of... Um, Shep just sinking Shep shot sinking, after shot after you know, shot. But otherwise, it's super dynamic and, mm-hmm. and flowing. And then you have the music going and the camera movement is great in it. Um, so in terms of just showing the sort of... The energy of the game and really portraying the energy of the game, I think, above the rim does better job than Hoosiers. Fair enough. And if nothing else, I think above the rim teaches the greater lesson that if you lose a game, somebody's got to get shot. Okay, so let's talk about that. Somebody's got to go. (laughs) Multiple people get shot coming out of this game. Yes. On the court, after they lose... Birdie says to Avon, hey, why don't you go shoot them? (laughs) So in the middle of the the court with the crowd celebrating and everything, Mm -hmm. Avon Barksdale pulls out the gun. Yes. And it's unclear who he's trying to. Is he trying to shoot Kyle? Kyle. He's aiming at Kyle. Yes. And then Shepard. Saves the day again. And his corduroys. Almost almost as if his name is related to his role in the film. See? Shepard leaps and takes the bullet. Yes. In front of Kyle. Mm-hmm. Looks to be to the chest, but... Looks to be pretty much straight to the heart, <laughs> actually, but he's going to be okay. Spoiler alert, Shepard's going to be okay, because he's, you know, he's in a romance with the kid's mom. Right. Who we haven't talked about, because she's barely really in the movie. Right. Uh, she's so, strong black mom. So we knew she was not, we knew he was not going to die. Right. Because you don't, you don't set up the romance with the mom and then kill that guy. <laughs> but then, oh, we didn't mention this, so... 
Tupac had warned Kyle, you better lose. You right. better throw this game right. or I'm going to... Tell Georgetown that you accepted... Rat you out to Georgetown, yeah. which is a little dubious. Like, I mean... I don't know how that's going to work. You could send a letter to Georgetown yeah. and say, hey, I'm a drug dealer. Hey, I'm a prominent drug dealer in this kid's and community. And I gave this kid some money and some whores. I gave him like 200 bucks and... <laughs> yeah, okay. He should maybe not be But whatever. Friend. He's going to destroy right. Kyle's career. Right. So we got to get rid of... We got to get rid of Tupac somehow to prevent this from happening. So who shoots him? Bugaloo. And you find this problematic or non-believable or unbelievable? I find it a little problematic, a little unbelievable. Mostly my problem is we see Bugaloo turn up in the club and shoot Birdie in the chest. Yes. That's it. There's no more mention of Bugaloo. What the fuck happens to Bugaloo? No one seems concerned about Bugaloo. Bugaloo go to jail. What happens to Bugaloo? Why would Bugaloo go to jail? Do they kill Bugaloo? Bugaloo standing in this guy's club (laughs) surrounded by armed dudes. Mm -hmm. Bugaloo shoots the guy in the chest. Mm -hmm. What happens to Bugaloo? I think he walks out of the club. Do you? Yes. They just let him walk out of the club. Yes. And he becomes a school resource officer. <laughs> I don't. I don't think yes. so. I, I think Bugaloo is fine. First of all, I think the school resource officers, <laughs> they probably have some kind of background check and some kind of psychological I mean, profiles. you think he's going to jail and for I'm not shooting sure, I'm not sure Bugaloo's going to pass. Really? I think that yeah. we're going to look the other way on Pretty Birdie's sure thing. that's still murder. I mean, but it's murder of a drug dealer. <sighs> it's a little convenient <laughs> and it's a little... <laughs> unresolved at the end of the movie. At the end of the movie, we get the happy month. We get, you know... Kyle's at Georgetown. Kyle's playing. He's a star for the Georgetown Hoyas. Mm -hmm. They're watching him on television. And Mom and Shepard and Coach are all in the bar watching the game on TV. Where's Bugaloo? Bugaloo is fine. Dead or in jail? No, Bugaloo is fine. I don't know why you keep trying to make it... No. I just feel bad for flipping Bugaloo. I don't, I don't know why you keep putting Bugaloo in that group. Like, no, Bugaloo is fine. You have no... Bugaloo is fine. I want to see Above the Rim 2, oh Electric, Electric Bugaloo. Bugaloo. I knew that was coming. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Wonderful. Well done <laughs> for you. I think Bugaloo went on to have a family yeah. and at, is living well. At best, he went on to make, like, fucking seven scary movie films. And became a and fucking millionaire. Not, that is not a That's life. how you that do is it. No that life. is how you do it. He went on to be a white woman. That's what Bugaloo did. <laughs> how much higher chick. could you get than being a white woman? That is what, I mean, come on. That's better than going to Georgetown. Fuck Georgetown. I'm a white woman. <laughs> All right, what do you got to say? I mean, I think... What is, you said you hadn't seen this... I had not seen basically it... Basically since... Since, like, 95, 96 okay. or something. What did you think watching it this time? It's a really enjoyable movie. It's a pretty good movie. Um, And my ridiculous, you know, teenage crush on Tupac lives on <laughs> beyond him. It's he's it's ridiculous how just mesmerizing he is. Um... Yeah, it's a good, it's a fun movie. I liked it. I like. I realize now that maybe one of the reasons I didn't enjoy Hoosiers of the other reasons is that I think maybe I like my basketball with a little bit more hyper masculinity and shit talking. I yeah. think I like aggressive basketball. Mm-hmm. Recognizing that that's like probably Hoosiers was much too polite. It was and, super nice and polite. Yeah. And it's just like no, you need to like check somebody, do something. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that may be part of it. Um, but yeah. I thought it was good. Shepard playing basketball at night with Ghost of Basketball Pass. <laughs> I love. I mean, you can't. It's just... Yo, he's playing ball without a ball. <laughs> 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 
When you're battling demons, it's convenient if you can battle them on the court. I feel like I have use for that line. I don't know where I'm going to use it. I don't know it, where you're going to do that one, yeah. That, and I like when uh, Birdie runs into Shep on the street and he says, uh, Where the fuck you going? We having a family moment. <laughs> I got use for that. I can use that line. You actually laughed a little bit throughout this whole thing. I did. I it was an enjoyable movie. It. See? I don't go into movies assuming I'm going to hate them. I don't either. Determined to hate them like okay, you I'm do. Okay, I'm never determined to hate them. I assume We've been over I'm this. I am open-minded. I am also open-minded. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I do think if we're comparing these two movies, I realize one of my problems with Hoosiers is, and I think we touched on this a little bit, but... It's not character driven at all. No, yeah. Nobody changes yeah. in nobody learns anything. There's no character arc. Right. For any of the characters, it's just like and that's it does it is part of the problem of that movie just being on rails mm-hmm. towards the championship. Right. It's just hard to root for anybody when it's yeah. when you don't understand anyone's sort of motivations or their stories. And I feel like there were a couple of characters, at least, that they could have dug a little deeper with, including Gene Hackman's character and the kid who played Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And like I said, at, at most, the, the most character story we got was with Dennis Hopper, and it was basically... Right. It was kind of the flip right. of Hoosiers. I mean, no, flip is better <laughs> He doesn't than, die. No. <laughs> flip is better than Dennis Hopper. Wait, what do you mean flip is better than Dennis Hopper? Flip is better than Dennis Hopper. On what basis? On the basis of truth. <laughs> Flip is a better character, in my opinion, than Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper was nominated for an Oscar for that role. That don't make it right. <laughs> Flip could have been nominated. Which he, which even he said, he because uh, Blue Velvet was that year, too. And he was like, they should have nominated me for Blue oh, Velvet. Oh, they were not going to nominate him for Blue Velvet. That shit was weird. <laughs> they weren't going to do that. Mm-mm. Wasn't he, like, huffing shit in Blue Velvet? Yeah. That's, that, yeah. It's a memorable weird. scene. Yeah. No. <laughs> Flip is a tragic character. Really interesting character. You actually want to know more about his story. Like, yeah, we're not going to learn anything more about Flip. Okay, I feel like you're being flippant about Flip. <laughs> and I'm uncomfortable. Are you proud of that one? I am. <laughs> yeah, I thought you I were. Am. Yeah, just stumbled upon that. Didn't <laughs> I feel good about it. All right, any final thoughts here? I won this week. You you think you won in the March Madness movie bracket? Yes. I don't know. I, I I mean, I obviously did. It had everything. It had someone falling off a roof playing basketball. It had someone playing basketball with no ball in the nighttime. <laughs> that should be, oh, what's that book? The Curious Case of the Dog? Curious Case of the Dog in the Nighttime. So we could do, like, you know, the Curious Case of... Not so falling off the roof? What are we talking no, about? No, of, of Shep. Playing ball in the nighttime. <laughs> With no ball. With no ball. <laughs> Do not try to sink the ball. That is impossible. <laughs> there is no ball. <laughs> Recognize the truth. There is no ball. See, deep philosophical shit happening in this movie. And you're sleeping on it, is what I'm saying. Bugaloo, amazing. Yeah, I'm still not feeling the bugaloo thing. I mean, bugaloo's great. <laughs> If for no other reason than when uh, Avon goes out and shoots, or he doesn't shoot, he pistol whips the dude who shorts him on his drug money. <laughs> yes. Bugaloo's like, he needs a role model or a hug. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beautiful moment to me. That is a beautiful moment to me. Do you know how many people need role models and hugs? <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, Bugaloo's amazing. <laughs> and then Tupac. Come on. 
in baggy ass camo two pieces and bandanas. Like it's fucking okay, amazing. That, cam- that baggy camo suit he, looked he was wearing amazing was with ridiculous. the Tims. He hideous. looked so good, and he no. had a bandana for every mm-hmm. outfit. And mm-hmm. now it makes me see. It wants me. To, I want to go back and like you know dress like Tupac, which is why my At mother. At least we had finally know who killed Tupac. Problems with okay, too soon. <laughs> it was Bugaloo. Too soon. We don't joke about that. It was very serious for me. It was a moment for me. Okay, so... And the music! Better than Hoosiers. It was different than Hoosiers. Better. Certainly. Better. It's a different mood, a different style. In that it was actually good music? Yes. (laughs) Yes, it was. It's a better film. It's the superior basketball (laughs) film. It is a good basketball film. I highly recommend it to other white people like myself who might not have seen Above the Rim. See, I don't know why you got to make this a race thing. (laughs) Superior to Hoosiers, really. If you enjoy acting, characters, (laughs) basketball, music, it's a superior film. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as Nakia and I storm the beaches with Tom Hanks for Steven Spielberg's 1998 war movie, Saving Private Ryan. I'm not looking forward to that one. Why not? You love war movies. I really don't. You know what? I took a class in college that was like uh, violence and civil strife, and it was we watched a lot of films about war and genocide, and like Vietnam and Rwanda, and I think that may have done it. For, I think I was done. You had a lot of fun in college, didn't you? I really did. (laughs) It was a blast. It was actually a very interesting class. (laughs) I've seen war, so I don't want to watch a film about war. That's all. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at freerangecritic, or send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com. In any of these places, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a movie that you'd like us to discuss on a future episode. Tell Michael that he needs to see more Tupac films and Prince films, and I'll think of some others. Until next time, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. Or winning the movie of the week battle, which I just did. It's not a competition. It's it's always a competition, and I won, so there you have that. Is there there anything you'll give Hoosiers the edge on? Any category? That pie looked good. I've been wanting some pie since I saw it. <laughs> so. I have a weird thing with food in yes, I, I know. films and particularly cartoon food. Yeah. I still mm. to this day really want some ribs from the Flintstones. Like, I want a big old, <laughs> and I don't even eat meat. I want a big old like dinosaur rib of ribs from the Flintstones. I want pizza from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> like there's a whole bunch of them. So, if you ever have, like, your last meal, you yeah. get to request Can you get me a slab of ribs from the Flintstones? I want the ribs from the Flintstones, <laughs> the, the pie from Hoosiers. Yes. The pizza the from Canadian Ninja, Ninja, Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. Uh-huh. Oh, the, the Italian and the Chinese food from Godfather looked really good. Okay. Oh, ooh, you know what? That movie, uh, The Big Night. Big Night. I was just going to say that. That whole That's, fucking You meal. want Italian food, get it from that Big Night. You can get your Chinese meal. food from the Godfather. I will have that. There's, there's a lot okay. of them where... <laughs> I will I will take the food. What I'm getting from this is that you're getting hungry and we should probably wrap this up. I am getting hungry, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done. Okay. <laughs>